This is the BA Coach Podcast episode number 45. Welcome to the BA Coach Podcast, online at thebacoach.com. Helping business analysts take their craft to the next level. It doesn't matter if you are a brand new BA or you've been practicing for many years. There is always something we can all do to take our BA skills and techniques up a notch. And now, here is your host, author, blogger, musician, and BA evangelist, Yaqub Muhammad, also known as Yamo. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the BA Coach Podcast. Uh, today we have a repeat guest, Jared Hales. Who did a CBAP success cast with us a few weeks ago, which was episode 43. Before we start, I just wanted to remind you that the IIBA has now released the public beta version 3 of the BABOK. And uh, we've already started to work on the content uh, for the version 3, the study guide, as well as the prep course and so forth. So if you're prepping for the exam, you will roughly have about uh, one year from now. We're recording this in July 2014. And also uh, a reminder that if you're going to invest in the version 2 study guide and other resources that we offer online, you will automatically qualify to get version 3's material free of charge. Yes, that's right. So go right ahead and check out the bacoach.com forward slash the ultimate kit to learn more. So in our author cast today with Jared, we talk about the challenges associated with uh, comprehending the Babok and the narrative that he's used in his latest uh, pocket guide for performing business analysis using the BABOK, importance of being hypothesis driven, strategic thinking tips and tricks, the new techniques and competencies in the handbook, discussion around using value stream mapping, the importance of timing of work in business analysis, how to start analysis as a consultant, the first critical steps that you need to take when you're starting analysis as a consultant and how to improve business analysis practice. With all of this and much more, here is Jared. Hello, Jared. Welcome again to the BA Coach Podcast. How are you? Well, Yamo, how about yourself? Doing wonderful. Thank you. And thanks for being on another episode of the AuthorCast, where we're going to talk about your latest upcoming book, Sounds exciting, though. Happy for you. So business analysis based on the Babok, you know, what's the scoop? What inspired you to write this? Like, give us a background. Sure. You know, it was something that uh, I'd actually been approached uh, by a publisher to to look into a little bit. They were a publisher that has done a lot of work with standards, whether that's the PIMBOK or TOGAF or some of the other standards that the Open Management Group has. Mm -hmm. And they were interested in getting into the BA space. So you know, we went back and forth and talked about what kind of book might be appropriate. And I love the Babok. Um, obviously, I think it's a wealth of information. And But I felt like sometimes it was a little bit unapproachable, depending on your situation, just to get into it. I remember I struggled trying to get into it and warm up to the Babok the first couple times I tried reading it. Even if I was a few years in or had been an experienced business analyst, sometimes I just felt like, you know what, it wasn't necessarily you know, something I could connect with right away. So I felt like there was a need out there for more of a quick look at what the Babok represents. So you know, for people that either are aspiring business analysts or um, people that work with business analysts like project managers, executives, solution developers, 
or even for business analysts just for their own benefit to kind of have a more quick access guide than the full Bablock. So that was kind of the genesis of it. We, we said, you know what, if we can work with uh, IBA and, and develop kind of a summarized and quick version and then add in a, a little few tidbits that, uh, you know, aren't in the current version of the Bablock that will help people make, better, make themselves better business analysts, then uh, that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Who wouldn't help that, right? Just a little extension to the study of the Babok. So you said you struggled with Babok uh, initially. So why? Yeah, I think we touched on this a little bit when we did the uh, the CBAP episode. The first time I went and uh, you know tried to get into the Babok, I found sometimes the terminology was a little bit different than what I was used to. You know, I, I had different customers saying different things for things like business requirements, stakeholder requirements. They had terms like system requirements out there. So, you know, I felt like sometimes it was a little foreign to me. So, you know, it took me a little while to kind of warm up to it. You know, later on, I appreciated how well the Babok has been written and how it has some nice standard language there that can be applied. But, uh, you know, the first few times is just different than what my experiences were. So I found it a little bit uh, tough to get over that hump. Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the book itself, right? So I see you've sent me the table of contents, which fairly mirrors the BA Bach table of contents. I see a few new things, especially around chapter one, and I see a few things, chapter eight and beyond. So walk us through the, you know, how it's mapping to the Babok. Sure. Yeah, we did want to keep the main chapters for the knowledge areas and for the competencies aligned in terms of numbering. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do that so it could be a, you know, again, a quick reference to the Babok. So if you see something in the pocket guide, that uh, you know you want to dig deep on, then it's easy to go and find that information in the bad box. So you know we did try to align that as closely as possible. Chapter one is a little bit different. We talk a bit more about the history of the history of business analysis, where business analysis is today. So there's a little bit more information there. I'll talk a bit about the value of business analysis in more depth. So that's kind of some of the stuff that's different in chapter one. And then when we get into the stuff like the competencies. And the techniques, we've provided additional ones that aren't in the, the Babok that uh, I think are still quite relevant to business analysts. Mm-hmm. And so if you have to, you know, you said pocket guide, this seems more like a reference guide, right? So is it something that, you know, people could read end to end as well? Absolutely. It's going to be relatively short. It's only about 20,000 words. So somebody's got a, a little bit of time on their hands and they want to get a really quick but solid overview of, of business analysis and how to do it. It's something you can definitely get through in one or two quick things. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about the differences between your book and the BA book in terms of, you know, what does it contain, what it doesn't contain. What are some of the highlights, you know, from that aspect? Yeah, I, I think I think where I wanted to do is, you know, take some of the places where I feel like the Babok has a lot of good information, but then kind of just extend it a little bit further. A couple examples would be like, again, in the competency area, you know, I think there's some stuff around some of the competencies that could be enhanced a little bit. So I talked about things like strategic thinking, like financial knowledge, and understanding how to apply those in a business analysis setting. You know, I, I think especially something like financial knowledge is something that's a little, little bit underweighted or kind of referenced in the Babok, but could be enhanced a lot more. And I think that's what allows business analysts to take the skills that they have and tie it to what executives are going to look for in terms of discussions around value. So if you can start getting hard and fast with numbers and, and understanding things like the time value of money, 
like probability theory and risk management from a, a probabilistic perspective, you're going to be able to you know, be a lot more valuable to your organization. So I touch on those points briefly, which is basically indicators to say, hey, go look into these concepts a little bit more because it will make you a better business analyst. So with 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 the reasons and examples why you know why is those why those skills are important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it depends on again what your role is, specific role as a business analyst, but definitely when you're doing something like enterprise analysis, you know, and you're trying to work towards a business case, you need to be able to quantify a lot of different benefits and costs. And, you know, it's one thing to be able to kind of get the financial data and just say, okay, well, these are the benefits, these are the costs. But for any material product that's going to run over multiple years, right, you know, you're going to have something that uh, may take, you know, more than a year to build. Definitely there's going to be returns that are anticipated to last more than a year. So even something basic, like just making sure that you understand, you know, how companies actually value their money in terms of how much a dollar today isn't going to be a dollar in the future, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do they value that money in the future? Do they use inflation as, as a way of discounting the money in the future? Or do they have an internal rate of return they're trying to hit? Or do they have something, some other way where they're trying to value whether or not a project should move ahead or not, right? So this, this allows the business analyst to kind of talk the same language that something like a project management or portfolio management office would have, as well as the C-suite. And I think that's something really valuable for, uh, for BAs to be able to do. Oh, yeah, for sure. So awesome stuff, uh, Jared. In terms of the differentiating narrative between the Babok and, and the handbook, what's the difference? Like when you take a look at, uh, let's say, 2.1, planned business mm-hmm. analysis approach, you know, the Babok has a structure. They say this is the overview, these are the inputs, these are the techniques, the considerations yeah. and outputs. So that's the narrative of a task in the Babok. You know, what's the narrative in the handbook? That's a good question. We've kind of flattened that structure. So just looking at, for example, planning the business analysis approach, you know, usually I'm trying to get a good description of what that really means. So I'm I'm trying to say, well, you're planning your business analysis approach. It should be able to address questions like, you know, what format and structure will your business analysis deliverables take? How will requirements be prioritized? You know, I kind of go through that checklist so you have a good understanding of what that task is about. Then I kind of touch on the key concepts within that task. So, for example, now when I'd be looking at things like plan-driven approaches versus change-driven approaches. And then from there, I'm, I'm usually trying to have either some examples or some quick tips that are important to know if you're trying to apply it right away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's kind of the approach I've taken with the book is I've tried to take, you know, the key concepts from each section within the Babok and consolidate it down to the, the essentials and then give you some, some quick ways of applying it. For sure. So, uh, you know, does the book have more tables? How is it structured? Basically, it's it's meant there to be, you know, something very readable. So there's a lot of, like I said, there's some checklists, some bullet points, you know, call-out boxes, for examples, or tips or definitions that are really important, right? So each section, again, is kind of taking all the stuff that, that goes into a particular task in terms of inputs and outputs and so forth, and, and just made it kind of a very nice quick read so you can get a really good feel of what you need to do for that particular task. Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, let's do this uh, real quick, uh, Janet. No, let's take uh, your favorite task. If I recall correctly from the previous episode, it's uh, defining business need, right? Yep. From enterprise analysis, which happens to be your favorite knowledge area. So maybe give out the content, if you will, in a way, in a summarized audio, in the summarized audio uh, manner. How have you sort of synthesized the information in the Babok in, in the handbook 
for for it to be usable? Sure. I mean, again, I've, I've tried to, you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about words and minimizing my use of them, but to, to still get that message across because, uh-huh. you know, again, we wanted to make this really quick. So, you know, for defining business needs, I, I say, you know, the business need is the foundation for understanding why a change is needed. Yeah. Having a clearly defined business need allows you to do things like, you know, establishing whether it's worth pursuing a solution, plan what additional business analysis activities are needed, mm-hmm. understanding stakeholders, uh, which ones are involved or impacted, and to prioritize and verify requirements, right? So, you know, I try to take everything that goes into that, that, that task there and just say, you know what, You're, here's your one sentence on it or a couple quick bullet points on it. Yeah. And in terms of, so that's like almost like a couple paragraphs? Exactly, yeah. I mean, most... Most tasks we've got down to a half page to a page, at least in, in the Word document, you know, depending on the size of the book, it may be a couple pages. But uh-huh. yeah, we've, we've tried to uh, keep everything very concise, but still has everything you need to know. Oh, yeah, for sure. So which happens to be your favorite task in terms of uh, writing it? Now, I understand defined businesses need is your favorite task, you know, maybe, maybe more from a practice standpoint. But something that you really loved uh, writing or, or another question would be the one that where you had a, a lot of challenge to write. That's a good question. You know, what? the first thing that came to mind is the challenging ones than the, than the easy <laughs> ones. <laughs> I think some of the stuff within requirements analysis took me a really long time to make sure that I, I had that essence right. In particular, some of the stuff around prioritizing and organizing requirements. I really wanted to make sure I had that you know, really crisp. So, you know, that, that chapter probably took the longest out of all of them. In terms of easy or, you know, something that I found really, really simple to write, the elicitation chapter, I think, just has the most logical sequence out of out of anything in the Babok, right? Like the Babok jumps around a lot with good reason. But, uh, you know, elicitation is actually a pretty nice logical linear sequence that most people can pick up. So I found, I found writing that chapter in of itself was pretty easy. And I liked going through the elicitation techniques and, again, just trying to get one sentence for each, you know, core elicitation technique and being able to put that in the bullet point, I found that to be, uh, to be pretty fun. It's, this is all good information to know, right? It's more like a little bit of uh, behind the scenes for your book. Absolutely. Right? So uh, yeah. another area of interest that I wanted to touch upon was the competencies or information that's not in the Babok. Let's start with something in the first seven chapters that you've added it and it's not in the Babok. Um, actually, for the first seven chapters, I did try and stay true to the Babok, so I, I, I kind of tried to synthesize as much as possible. Again, where I've kind of focused was on the uh, the competencies areas as well as the techniques. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the competencies themselves. What new competencies are you suggesting or have added in the book? Yeah, we've, we've already touched on financial knowledge. The other one I added in was around strategic thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to really dig into strategic thinking and think about what what does that mean, right? Like what, you know, you hear that, that word or those words brandied about, but what does that really mean? So, you know, I, I kind of, I did some research and I kind of found some good references around, you know, something that had five elements to strategic thinking. So I thought that was valuable. You're, when you're thinking strategically, you're looking at things from a systems perspective, which, you know, the Babok does touch on a little bit. You also are, are intent focused. And by that means you, you're working towards a specific purpose, which would tie back to, you know, establishing business need and business requirements. You're also doing what's called intelligent opportunism, right? Mm-hmm. And intelligent opportunism means, you know, you can shift 
your current beliefs and strategies if you realize that there's something more effective than what you're doing now, right? And I think that kind of goes to the whole concept of agile business analysis, agile organizations. So I thought that was really good to have there in there too. Thinking in time, right? So you're kind of, you know, have an understanding of not only where you are now, where you're going, but also the past and how to learn from that. And uh, the last one's around being hypothesis driven, which I like because I have a science background. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important to be able to say, well, this is what we think is going to happen, but how can we test that to be correct, right? Before we move on or just put everything, throw all our resources into it. So I think those components make up strategic thinking, which I thought was, you know, a good thing that business analysts should know about. Because, you know, again, I think that it takes business analysis away from kind of being this operational service that's provided, you know, sometimes just to IT or in the IT organization and, and brings it up to enterprise wide. Oh, yeah, for sure. So what I'm going to do for the next two to three minutes, Jared, is extract some nuggets from you in terms of, you know, helping our listeners to take away some tips and tricks so that they can improve their strategic thinking. So if you have to maybe think of, uh, you know, two or three examples or tips that they could use tomorrow in their practice in order to be better strategic thinker, what do you want to share with them? Okay. Well, that's good. That's a good question. Again, regardless of what kind of business analysis you're doing or what kind of work you're on, I think it's important to see the big picture. So whatever you're doing, and, and right now I'm doing a lot of work with data migration. So sometimes I'm in the weeds. I'm down there trying to figure out, okay, well, how does this map to this? And how do we deal with this you know, data irregularity and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. It's tough for me sometimes to, to think about the reason why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's important for me to consciously do that because it keeps me motivated. And it also allows me to recognize the value of what I'm doing. You know, and if I don't see that value, then it makes me question, okay, should I be focusing my time somewhere else or should we be talking to my team members about making sure that we're on the right path, right? So no matter what you're doing, you should always be able to tie it back to the big picture. And I think that's one important part of what strategic thinking is all about. Mm-hmm. It's about recognizing that no matter how banal your task is, you know, there's value in it. And if there's not, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So tie back to the big picture. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Another one I would probably say is Again, kind of make sure that, and this this would go to kind of what I think the about as well, which is around you know planning and monitoring. Just make sure that when you're setting out to do something, you have in mind what the end state's going to be. Now mm-hmm. uh, that may shift over time, and that's that's fine, you know, within reason. But if you've got that intent of this is what I'm setting out to do, and I can track how well I'm getting, I am towards that goal, right? And then you know in in project management, you know, they've got a quantitative way of doing that with earned value, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's important for business analysts to think about, okay, I'm, I'm going towards this goal and I can put some pit stops along the way to check and see whether I'm on that path and it's still correct or not, right? So I think that's something that you know, if you've got a very big business analysis initiative that you're, that you're undertaking, you know, and if you're halfway through requirement solicitation, it's good to stop and say, okay, this is where we wanted to get with this. We want to make sure that we cover off all these stakeholders, Based on what I've got so far, can I make that still based on where I am, right? Can I actually still make my timelines? Can I still make my scope? All that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes we, we just love to do things and we, love, we want to get the work done. But having that monitoring aspect in your work and taking the time to do it is also very important. For sure. Absolutely. So, you know, when you said that one thing that came to my mind was the seven habits of highly effective people begin with the end in mind. So uh, that sort of ties well into this tip. Anything else you want to share, uh, Jared, with our BAs that will make them super strategic thinkers? 
<laughs> you know, again, I, if you've been a business analyst in one domain for a long time, look for opportunities to go to other domains. I feel like the more breadth you have in experience in different domains, the better business analyst you'll be. You know, as a consultant, I've been in everything from healthcare to finance to, to government to, you know, everything in between now. And I feel like it's really made me very adaptable and pliable. But, you know, I can add value to my clients now because I can see things from other domains that I can apply now in their domain and, and they get value out of that, right? Because otherwise, probably somebody else that's just been in that domain might not have noticed that. So I think that's definitely something that will make business analysts more strategic thinking is when they can get some experiences in different places and then figure out how to tie those together. Yeah, keep moving. They should probably start looking for a job as they listen to this, right? <laughs> well, it depends on where they're at and everything and the job market <laughs> where they are. But, you know, yeah, definitely keep your eyes open. Oh, yeah, for sure. Great tips there. So in terms of techniques, I see that you've added a section for other relevant techniques in, the, in your handbook. So uh, how many techniques have you added? Let's see. I think I added, I added a couple. Some of the things I added in were things that weren't directly touched on in the Babok, but I think are valuable. Things like Pareto analysis. I'm a huge fan of it. For people that don't know the term, it's called, it's the 80-20 rule, right? Yeah, so yeah. The, the concept there that, you know, something that you work on that 80% of the benefit only takes 20% of your effort. And then to get that last 20% of benefit, it's going to take your other 80%. So the concept there is get to the 80% done and then figure out what's the next priority and then go from there rather than necessarily trying to get to 100% or obtain perfection. You know, I think that's something that's for business analysts, especially a lot of people that are, you know, very perfectionist like myself, that's a hard lesson to take to heart. But it's something very valuable because you're going to deliver way more value to your organization if you work on that 80-20 rule or with that 80-20 rule than if you just try and go perfection for one particular task. So, so what's an example of applying this technique like from your practice? Well, for me, it's, it's always been around requirements, modeling, and specification, right? I love having perfect requirements documentation, right? Mm-hmm. I want it to be exactly right. And uh, I quickly realized that to do that, you basically can spend all your time just maintaining your documentation, which isn't a valuable use of your time, right? So I'm willing, I now have an error tolerance in my head about, okay, well, if something is either misspelled or misquoted, as long as I don't think it, it takes away from the intent and people will still understand it and still get to that shared vision, mm-hmm. of, you know, which is, to me is what the purpose of requirements modeling is all about, then, you know, I'm okay with it, right? Okay with that when I have, you know, BA staff working for me too. I'm not going to pick on every single thing now. I'm willing to let them, you know, again, do the same thing and make sure that they're working on where the most value is. Oh, yeah, for sure. What's the other technique? Yeah, one of the other ones is uh, value stream mapping. I mean, that's kind of a lean methodology idea there. And the, the idea behind it is, you know, comes from production lines, which is look at your process of what you're trying to do from when you start to when you finish and come up with meaningful measures for everything that goes in. So that could be input in terms of resources, in terms of people, in terms of actual physical supplies or something, and start mapping out how it's working, right, from end to end. And then what you can kind of do is you can kind of see, especially when you've got processes that go back and forth with multiple stakeholders, potential inefficiencies. And then you can start thinking about how you can actually either reduce the time, right, if you start finding lags. Mm-hmm. So if you're sending off your requirements document and uh, people aren't going to read it for a week, right, is there a way you could more effectively use your time so that they're getting it closer to when they need it and you could be doing more beforehand, right? Because I always find that, you know, requirements are something that they're out of date the second you finish writing them down, right? So you, yeah. they've got a lifespan. So the better 
the more you make your requirements just in time and real time, the better. So if you can arrange your work a little bit better so that you're not, you know, there's not these lags in between what you're producing and when people are actually consuming it, you're better off. So something like value stream mapping can help you figure that out for yourself. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, it sounds a lot like, you know, you have, you define KPIs and you inject them along the way, all along the way of, you don't know, defining a process. So in terms of maybe an example or two of how you've used value stream mapping in your practice, can you think of something that, that made a huge difference? You know, I think it's been, because I, I kind of buy it with, you know, on top of Kazen, which is this idea of continuous improvement. So mm-hmm. there's no kind of one change that made it a, a massive difference. But what I found was, again, when it came to scheduling things, like right now I'm working on, a, on an acceptance testing schedule for one of my clients. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's all about making sure they have the right information right before they're about to do something. Because again, if I'm just telling them stuff, that knowledge is going to be lost over time, right? You know, the typical challenge you have, right? If you do training, when should you do training? So I'm trying to make sure that I'm timing what I'm working on, which is all the prep for all these tests, and that I'm I'm working on it right before I deliver to them, right before we perform the test. And that, that value works really well because then, you know, it's not me doing something a couple weeks before and then right when they're doing the test, I've kind of forgot how I set it up for them, right? So mm-hmm. just things like that is where I've, I've found the value of doing that, right? Because before, sometimes I'd, I'd like to get out ahead as much as possible. But, you know, sometimes there was a cost to that, which was, well, I wasn't as prepared as I could be if I was doing it closer to the date. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just in time learning, just in time information presentation, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I see another, um, you know, big and important chapter in the handbook, applying the BA book, you know, three very important aspects you've listed. So do you want to give uh, our listeners an overview of that chapter? Sure. Basically, the BA box got, again, a wealth of information. I think it's got some excellent things in there. But in of itself, it doesn't tell you how to actually do business analysis, right? That's not its purpose. Its purpose there is to kind of be that baseline that you can then pick up and pick and choose what's appropriate for your situation. So I talk to, in chapter 10, I talk a bit about how you can actually apply the BA BOC. I'm not, I don't get so prescriptive as saying, you know, this is the methodology you should use, but I talk about how you can figure out how to develop a methodology for your organization or for yourself. So I kind of lay the groundwork for just making sure you have the right questions in mind when you're trying to do that, right? So things like understanding the purpose of what you're trying to do, how much time you have to work on things, you know, who's available to perform the business analysis tasks, stuff like that. And then from there, you can kind of work on actually developing a specific methodology. So I kind of walk through the sequences of, you know, what you can do to develop that methodology yourself. And then once you have that in place, how you can actually apply that and then start working on your business analysis tasks. Absolutely. And I think that's a very critical uh, component when it comes to applying the BA BAC. Uh, what about the maturity models? What was your inspiration for that? Well, it kind of comes from, you know, the concept of, I'm sure many of your audience has heard about, you know, capability maturity models, yeah. um, CMMI and so forth, right? Yeah. I think that that's true of any profession, right? You can kind of apply that type of concept in profession and, and, you know, business analysts could benefit from that, right? So the idea around it is, uh, you know, the IBA has developed one for the individual. And what I kind of t- speak to is, is looking at it from an organizational perspective, right? So, you know, you can look at the individual competency model and they've kind of got those classifications from novice all the way through expert. Similarly, you can do that with you know the collection of business analysts and organization and say well from a process and methodology perspective what do you have you know or do you have stuff that's more in the initial phase where it's ad hoc 
or you, you do you have processes? Do you have tools and templates to support you? You know, do you have a defined process or are you getting to a point where you can actually start assessing how well you're doing business analysis? Do you have performance measures? Can you actually optimize on those performance measures, right? So that's kind of what I walk through. And I just want to give people, again, that understanding that you can get better at this over time as an organization. And the better you are at it, the more effective it'll be and, and the higher value it'll deliver. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's great information, Jared. So in terms of like your experience and your observation in the organizations that you've worked for, you know, where do you assess the the maturity to be? Well, a lot of the places I've been brought into, it's because they're on the on the relatively low scale, right? That's why they need consultant as opposed to just working with in house mm-hmm. um, expertise. That said, meeting with other people at the IBA chapters I, I go to and stuff, I'm finding that you know a lot of places are starting to move their way up that scale, right? You know, people are having good defined processes. They're starting to think about how you can actually assess business analysis performance, right? You know, how can you actually quantify and measure some of the things we do? You know, which is, I think, a very tricky task, right? Like every engagement, every initiative you're on is going to be a little bit different. So what's an effective measure of for requirement solicitation or for specifying and modeling requirements, right? You know, it's not a clear-cut answer, but organizations are starting to tackle those questions, which I think is a very good thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's imagine, Jared, that you, uh, you know, you were brought in to consult at Edmonton Tiles Incorporation, you know, just, just as an example. What's the first thing that strikes you or the first thing that you notice that, that you deem the maturity to be good enough or you know that the uh, business analysis practices mature? You know, I think first you got to start off and just talk to the stakeholders who are recipients of the business analysis work. Mm-hmm. And get a get a feel for how they you know they sense the value of what they're getting so far, right? I mean, come in there and I say, well, everything's being done ad hoc, and that's not a good thing. But at the same time, if their stakeholders are always happy, they're ne- they're never frustrated, then you know, I mean, maybe that's good enough for that organization, right? Yeah, but why do you say it's it's being done in ad hoc? Because maybe they have templates to find, maybe they have a certain process to find, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if, if that's the case, then I wouldn't call it ad hoc. I was just saying that, you know, if I came in and I noticed that they, you know, they didn't have any plans in place, they didn't have any deli- any pre-existing templates or any tools they were using, they were just, you know, flying by the seat of their pants. But at the end of the day, if their customer's happy, then, you know, who might argue that, right? I mean, yeah. they could, I think that's fine. So, but yeah, usually what I do is I, I'd go in and I'd look at, okay, well, you know, do you have anything written down about what, you know, what business analysis is in your organization, right? Because it can be different for every organization. Do you have a methodology in place? Do you have process diagrams around the things you want business analysts to do? Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of, you know, again, templates or tools, you know, or are you just using Microsoft Office or how are you doing things like requirements management, right? Is it all manual? Do you have any way of automating some of that? How are you developing your documentation or your models or outputs for your stakeholders? Is that something that's generated by a tool? Is that something that's manually done? Mm-hmm. And again, there's, there's no necessarily right or wrong answers to that, but it could give me an assessment of, you know, how far along the path they are towards trying to continually evolve their, their business analysis, which is what I think, you know, the end goal should be. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's, that's an important aspect of assessing maturity, right? And there's another part of this chapter, you know, that piqued my interest is uh, improving business analysis practice. So right. what are 
a couple tips that you want to share with our BAs or maybe, you know, th- we also get a lot of PMs listening to our podcast. We also get practice managers listening to our podcast. So if you have to share a couple tips with them, I know they have to read the book for sure, <laughs> right? <laughs> but if you want to like maybe just give a little teaser or maybe share one complete tip with them, what would that be? Definitely one of the things is, is focus on what it is that you want to improve, right? It's one thing to kind of come at it saying, well, you know, there's a lot of things not working right now. It's another to say, okay, this is, and this goes back to Pareto analysis. What's the biggest pain point, right? So, you know, if you address the biggest pain point, you've probably delivered the highest value, you know, initially. So if you can focus on one or two things that can be actionable, you know, and it's realistic and feasible to actually change those things, Mm -hmm. focus on one or two things first, figure out how you're going to make the change, do the change, make sure the change is working, and then from there, reevaluate and say, okay, what's next? Or do we have to continue working on those two, one or two things because they're not quite there yet? So I think it, it's having that discipline to actually focus on some critical pieces rather than getting caught up with the important many, right? I've heard that term a few times. It's the critical few versus the important many. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really good thing to keep in front of mind as a business analyst if you're trying to improve your practices. What are the one or two things I can do today, this week, this month, whatever, that'll make a real difference? And then once I feel like I've mastered those, what's next? Oh, yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree more on that. So, you know, it looks like we've covered everything that we wanted to cover, Jared. Thank you so much for being on the show. If you want to leave our audience with any closing thoughts or comments in terms of, you know, summarizing your journey as you went through uh, when writing this book, and what is that one thing that you strongly feel or felt when you wrote this book or, or anything else that you want to add? Yeah, I think the journey for me was a little cathartic. Like, um, you know, it'd been a couple of years since I had done my first deep dive into the BA block to get my certification. And, you know, I, I did revisit it recent, more recently when I was doing a study group or a discussion group with some executives, but kind of like my third big pass into the BA block when I was writing this. So I felt like, you know, I just really helped enhance what I already knew. And again, I've, I strongly encourage anybody, whether they're going for certification or not, to go into the BA block and, and pick up what it has because there's a lot of good information in there and, and you can find ways to apply a lot of it to your practice today, regardless of what kind of business analysis work you're doing. So I think for me, that was the main benefit I got out of it. It was an opportunity for me to kind of think critically about how these things can be applied well. And again, it gave me an opportunity to kind of think, okay, well, the BA box is great, but what else can I do to, to enhance and how can I help other business analysts get better by providing a little bit of additional information? So, you know, hopefully uh, people like it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to link up the information about your book and any other links pertinent to that in the show notes. And, you know, the listeners can get all the information that we've discussed so far. So thanks, Jared, for being on the show. And uh, it was great to have you on here. Thanks. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much, Emma. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and derived some insights from Jared's approach to the Babok. And also learn from the journey that he went through to write his latest book. I I recommend that you pick a copy and uh, we will also be giving out two copies of his book if you head over to thebacoach.com forward slash episode 45 and all you have to do is comment or ask a question and and we'll select two folks that will get a copy of the book. That's it from me for this episode folks. I will see you over at thebacoach.com. Bye for now.